come up and, and preach and bring our lesson to us this evening. Uh, Aaron is a 2021 graduate of the Southwest School of Preaching in Austin. He, uh, after graduation, uh, went to work immediately at the, the home in Winsboro, uh, the home of restoration and, and recovery, uh, in, and uh, serves currently as the administrator there. Um, Aaron has been in the home since then and, and continues to do the work there. Uh, the, they worship over in uh, Mount Vernon, so often you may hear uh, Winsboro, Mount Vernon. They're about like from here to Odessa apart from one another. They're, they're close. Um, uh, the thing that, you know, in the, in the amount of time that I've got to know Aaron really kind of over the last year, some of that more recent, you know, face-to-face is the thing that really kind of sticks out to me about Aaron is his love for Jesus and the church and the family and the men that he works with uh, at the home of uh, recovery and uh, and the addiction issues that, that, that they deal with. But as he always uh, points out, it's more important about leading uh, the men to Jesus and to a life of repentance and, and turning their back away from uh, the sinful life that they, they once led. Um, you know, I kind of tie some things that I hear that I've heard from Mike in the past and some things that I've heard um, from Aaron from the pulpit or uh, from the Winsboro uh, graduation over there. And um, I, I hear Mike talk about, you know, America, the U.S. is a mission field, and we're right in the middle of one of the best mission fields in the world now. And in order to know that mission field, you've got to know the culture. You've got to know, like, what's going on in, in the world. You've got, to, you've got to be able to connect with the problems and the culture and the people there. And so when I first look at... Uh, First uh, Corinthians, it's uh, just in my Bible, it's, a, it's an introduction to uh, what Corinth was. Uh, it says Corinth was the most important city in Greece during Paul's day. It was a bustling hub of worldwide commerce, uh, had a degraded culture and idolatrous religion. And I'm like, huh, kind of sounds like Midland or maybe Texas or... Or the U.S. in a lot of ways. I mean, we're a bustling oil hub. We have people come in and out from all over. You know, Texas is the center of a lot of the world's economy. And then I, I look over uh, in, uh, in chapter 6, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And this is something that I've, I've heard Aaron uh, mention a couple times when he's talking to the men or he's preaching and it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, uh, but you were washed, but you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the spirit of our God. Thank you, Brother Aaron. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Thank you for that kind introduction. I, I want to thank the church and the elders and, and Mike and everyone here for uh, allowing me to come and, and preach and do an uh, update on the home and just kind of familiarize everybody with the home of recovery and the work that it is. Um, 
Why did Jesus come to earth? But first, before we get to that, let's talk about a number. You know, people throw numbers around like they don't mean anything. Trillion this, trillion that, billion this, billion that. We see it in the news. We see it from our government. You know, eight billion is the number I'd like to talk about. Does anybody have an idea what eight billion looks like? Because I didn't. I had to look up some stuff to even get, you know, this simpleton mind around eight billion. If, in money sense, if you spent $100 a day... It would take you 219,178 years to spend $8 billion. Okay, think about it in seconds. If you started counting right now, and we're going to count to $8 billion, it would take you 761 years to count to $8 billion. You could travel around the earth 321,272 times in miles to get to 8 billion miles. Yeah, round trips to the moon, 16,743 round trips to the moon for 8 billion. But what does this number mean? Why am I talking about 8 billion? Well, in 2025, there will be 8 billion souls on this planet. That's 8 billion souls created in the image of God, Genesis 1:27. 8 billion souls that, that have joy and sorrow that have success and failures, that will spend eternity in one of two places. They will either spend eternity with our Father, or they will spend eternity in hell with the deceiver. So, that should matter to us. Those eight billion souls mean something. You know, we're called to be more like Jesus. You know, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we'll read that in just a second, but it's, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. So if we're called to be more like Jesus, then we need to look at souls the way Jesus looked at souls. Did he look at their outer appearance? Did he look at what home they grew up in? Did he see what, what house they were living in? Did he care for any of that? No. Then how should we look at souls? How should we look at people, average people? You know, it's easy to be in our bubble and it's easy to discount people. It's easy to say, well... They're not going to accept the gospel, so I'm not even going to waste my time on them. Did Jesus do that? No, he didn't. If we're to be more like Jesus, we have to look at souls as what they are. Precious. Precious in the sight of God. We have to. Jesus came from heaven and humbled himself to do one thing. To save souls. He humbled himself. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You know, 2,000 years removed away from the, from the cross, we don't, I don't know if we quite have a concept of what that means, even the death of the cross. Because this was the pinnacle of Roman punishment. They were very good at hurting people. This was their, pen, there was, this was their best way they could figure out to make someone suffer in humiliation. You know, we don't, 
We don't. We see pictures where it's in the hands and in the feet. That's not how they put someone on the cross. They, your hands would rip right through. You couldn't hold your weight. They would put a big spike right here so that it hold through your tendons, so that it could hold your weight. And then in your ankles. And Jesus was beaten almost to the point of death before he was put on the cross. The cross usually took multiple days to kill someone because it was a form of suffocation. And so they would hang him up there and the only way you could catch a breath because your lungs are collapsing, because your arms are stretched out, the only way you could catch a breath was to lift up on your legs. You'd lift up on your legs to catch a breath and each time you had to lift up on those spikes in your, in your ankles, in the sides of your ankles to catch a breath and then you'd release. And each time you'd have to lift up to catch another breath. And it would take days to suffocate someone this way. But we know from Psalm 22 that no bone was going to be broke on Jesus. So that when they went to break the bones to hurry this up so they could get on with their Jewish festivals, Jesus was already dead. This was a humiliating way to die. This was the worst way the Romans had figured out to make someone suffer. And Jesus did that for every single one of us. For every single one of us, for every single person who has ever lived, Jesus went through that humiliation, through that suffering, through that pain. For me, for you, the humiliation, even the death of the cross. I I find that it, it almost brings me to tears every time I think about it. That he would do that for me. Someone who, until I was 40 years old, didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Just thought he was another man that they wrote about in a book. That he did that for me even when I didn't believe. He did that for every one of those eight billion souls, even when they don't believe in him. He did it for them. So, why did Jesus suffer this horrible death? Why did he go to this anguish when he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him? He didn't have to do that. But he did that for me and you. We can go to Hebrews 2 9. We see, but Jesus, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of the death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Why did he do that? So that he could die for our sins. So that he could taste death for you and me, for everyone that's ever gonna live. I mean, that's that should be humbling in itself. That our God died on the cross for us. Why did he need to taste the death for each one of us? Just have to go a little further in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. We'll read that together. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is, the devil... And release those through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He went through this so we didn't have to stay in bondage to the devil. He went through this so that he could destroy the power that devil had over the death. You know, the cross is preached. We need to make sure the resurrection is preached. Because that's, that's what's amazing. That's the power. It's easy to put people to death. No one... But our God has been able to resurrect someone from that death. And that's the hope that we have. 
So back to my first point, my first question, which leads to my first point. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did he come and die and defeat the powers of Satan? He came, point number one, Jesus came to save souls. That's what he came to do. We know that. We've got to remember, every business and corporation, if you're going to be successful, you have to have a mission statement. Right? Without a mission statement, we don't know what we're doing. Well, Jesus has given us that mission statement. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his mission. And he came and he started doing it. We see in Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's his mission statement. That's what he came to do. Is that our mission statement? Is that what we're doing? As a church, as a whole, as a people of God? Is that our first priority? If we were a corporation, is that our first number one thing? Is that our first thing that we're going to do? Go out and seek. Not just wait for them to come in our doors, but seek them out. You know? The people that need the help the most, we're going to have to go seek out. That's what Jesus did. So, if we want to be more like Jesus and have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2.5, we need to take a look, closer look at what Jesus came to do. We, he knew his identity. He knew his purpose. He knew that everyone with a good and honest heart would be able to come to him through the gospel. The gospel is so powerful. We can never discount the power that it has. I think a lot of the times we, we forget about the power of the gospel in its simplicity. We try to make it complicated. It's not complicated. It's simple. Everyone can come to God through that gospel. And uh, as it was read earlier, Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's what Jesus came to do. And we can see in Luke, starting in chapter 4, when he like the starting gun went off. He came, and here he says in, in Luke 4, verses 16 through 17, he goes into a synagogue, and he sits down, and he opens up the book with them, and he reads from Isaiah. He reads from Isaiah 61, 1, and... Here, I'll just read some of that from Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to him. He came to do those things. Are we doing those same things? Is that what we're seeking to do? Are we seeking to help the brokenhearted? Because I guarantee you the, the best thing we can do for someone with a broken heart is share the gospel with them. It has the only power to heal. Best thing we can do to the poor is give them something that is richer than any monetary value. Richer than anything that can be found on earth. The Word of God. It's one of those things. We want to be like Jesus. We need to do exactly like He did. He set that gun off and He started doing it. 
He came and He says, this is who I am. He told them in that synagogue, this is who I am. This is me it's talking about. Now watch me go. And what did He do? He took off. He took off and started doing what He came to do. Luke 4, verses 33 through 35, He goes to Capernaum and, and teaches with authority. They'd never seen anyone teach with authority that Jesus had. When we teach from the Bible, you know what we're teaching with? That same authority. We're teaching with that same power, that same authority, that same Spirit of God that Jesus was teaching from. When we teach the Bible, the Bible speaks for itself. When we teach it, we're teaching the same way Jesus did. We're teaching the words of Jesus and the apostles. Everything the Spirit has given us, that's what we need to be teaching. We don't need to add to it, take away from it, or fluff it up to make it more appealing. This is appealing enough. And anyone with a good heart is going to see, wow, there's something there. So he did that in Luke 4, 33 through 35. He heals a man with an unclean spirit, demon. He comes out and he starts healing people. He starts saying, your sins are forgiven. He came to save souls and that's what he starts doing right off the bat. Then in Luke 4, 38 through 39, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, heals her. What does she do? She's a perfect example of discipleship in, in my book. She gets up and starts serving. I mean, for us, what is that example to us? When we've obeyed the gospel, when we've been healed by the power of the blood of Christ, what do we need to do? We need to get up and serve. We need to get up and serve, not just people in the church, but people in the community, people outside, because some of them, the only Bible they're ever going to read is you. You know, that's powerful. And then through that, you might have an opportunity to teach them. So we see that he, he starts healing. In Luke 4, verses 40 through 41, he heals all. Not How many does that include? That includes all who were sick with various diseases and demons. He shoots that gun off and then he goes a-running. He starts doing what he came to do. We know this is just a few of the accounts. And this is just from Luke. We open up the scriptures as a whole and you see so many different accounts. So many amazing accounts. And we know that Jesus came with those healing powers to confirm that he was from God. But he also came to confirm that he was here to save souls. He cared for souls, each individual. Remember the, the man who was crying out and they were saying, Hey, stop, get away, Jesus ain't got time for you. And Jesus said, No, let him come to me, hold on. That's the guy I'm looking for. That's who Jesus is looking for in this world. Looking for people who are broken. He's not looking for people who are whole. You know, it's nice being whole because we're made whole through the gospel and through the blood of Christ. But he's looking for people who are broken so that we can help them to become whole. It's on us as disciples to help those who are in need. We know that Jesus, all these accounts that you could fill up this whole church uh, according to John 20 verses 30 through 31 that you can fill up this whole church with the things that Jesus did, but that we only have what is written so that we may believe. And it is plenty for us to believe. We have enough. 
we don't need any more. No more was needed for us to understand what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to save souls. Why? My second point. Jesus came to save souls because he knew the value of a soul. What do we value? You know, many of us have value our houses, our cars, our 401ks. Well, I don't have 401k. Don't let me deceive you there. You know, we, uh, you know, stock, mutual funds. I don't have any of those either. But, you know, we value our family heirlooms. Maybe we value our relationships. But are we putting those things over the value of a soul? How many times do we value something more than someone who is brokenhearted, who's downtrodden, who needs help? But we say, well, not worth my time. Maybe we value our time too much. And we're spending time at the wrong things. We need to be valuing a soul. And I'm not saying that valuing relationships or your cars or your houses or the things that you have is wrong. You want to have things. You want to provide for your family. God's provided through you so that you can have things. And that's all part of it. You know, that's all part of being in the kingdom. We have blessings that come with that. But we must recognize what Jesus recognized. What's the value of a soul? We must recognize that one soul is more, worth more than any of the riches of the world. How do I know this? Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And that says it all right there. There is nothing in this world more valuable than one soul. We must value that soul as Jesus values those souls. We must understand we, we may have to give up. We may have to give up our time. We may have to give up some money. We may have to give up this or that to seek out that one soul. And, and I'm not saying it's easy. We all know it's not easy. You may talk to a hundred people and have one person, if you're lucky, obey the truth. But if you don't talk to anybody, how many are you going to have obey the truth? None. So, we can see that souls are priceless to Jesus. We cannot buy our way into heaven, but we can buy our way into hell. There is no if ands to it. Many people inside and outside the church today spend a lot of time collecting wealth. We see it around the world. I mean, we were watching a show the other day where it's these houses, and it was like, I was thinking, man, I could start a recovery with that one house. I could fit 30 guys in that one house. Yeah, we could help 30 other guys with this one house these people are living in with two people. But, you know, everybody has their, their thing. But we cannot serve both God and mammon. Matthew 6, 24. We know we cannot serve two masters. We must prioritize. We must decide who we're going to serve. Is it going to be God? Are we going to prioritize the value of a soul? Is Jesus prioritize the value of a soul? Or are we going to serve ourselves? It's a decision each one of us has to make. It's not an easy decision. It should be. 
But the world that we live in doesn't make it that way. We put so much emphasis on things, stuff. None of that stuff is going to get you to heaven. And none of that stuff can you take with you to heaven. And generally, if you have a whole lot of stuff, you might not get to heaven. So we must be spending our time looking for souls just like Jesus did. And we must spend equal amount of time valuing that soul over the things, other things of this earth. You know, this reminds me of the story of the man. He had so much stuff. Y'all know where this is. It's Luke 12, 16 through 21. That he was like, I got to build another barn. I have so much stuff. He says, you fool. For tonight your soul will be required of you. Let that not be us. Let that not be known of God's people. That is a demonstration to all of us. Maybe when we have enough, we have enough. Then give back to God what's due His. Give back to searching out souls because of the, you know the value of that soul. So this brings me to my third point. Jesus came to save souls. Because he knew the value of the soul. But Jesus came to save souls because he knew the potential of each and every soul. If you think about it, who did he go to? What people did he use? He used the broken people. He used the people nobody else wanted. I mean, if we look at what's on the outside, then we don't have the mind of Christ. We have to look at what's on the inside. We can't know another man's heart. We can't know what's inside them. But we can't, we'll never know if we don't offer. If we don't share the gospel with them. You know, Jesus helped many who no one in the Jewish world would have anything to do with. I mean, you go to Mark 5. There was a man in torment that nobody wanted anything to do with. But what did Jesus do? He healed him. Sent the demons into the swine. Sent them into the ocean. Nobody wanted anything to do with that man. Whoa, don't go down there. That guy's crazy. You know, we deal with a lot of people that might be crazy. But you know what has the power to heal? That craziness? This right here. The Word of God. We also see in Mark 5, 18 through... Through 20. <clears throat> that, that demon possessed man. What did he do? Afterwards. What did he do? After Jesus healed him. He went and proclaimed. He went and praised God. Even after Jesus said don't tell nobody. He couldn't help himself. He wanted to go with them. How many people that you might be able to help will then want to go with you and want to go further and do things for the kingdom? I mean, I, I can only... In the work that I'm involved in, you just see that light kick on. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing... I, I can only imagine what somebody saw in my face. But 
when you see that light kick on and then they want to serve God and they want to be a song leader and they want to do devotionals and they start wanting to do these things. You don't have to think twice about asking them to do anything because they're right there. It's amazing. Just another example of Jesus not looking at the outward appearance. We know we have a, the gospel of Matthew. <laughs> That's amazing. You think they hated Matthew. They hated the tax collectors. This guy was the most despised guy from all the Jews. He worked with the Romans. He took their money. But what did Jesus do? He said, come follow me. And what did he say when they asked him, why are you eating with, drinking with tax collectors and sinners in Luke 5 and verse 32? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come to heal the perfect person. No, he came for those, I don't know, like me. Like many of us here. He came for us. He called Matthew to him and Matthew followed. He used this man to write the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel account according to Matthew. How amazing is that? I mean, what is he going to do with your life? What is he going to do with that person that you helped? We don't even know. No one knows the future but God. But if we don't open up our hearts and our lives to people that need the gospel, we'll never know. And we're not doing what Jesus has called us to do. Another example is look at Mary called Magdalene. Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him and a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities called Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Jonah, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's steward, Susanna and many others who had provided for him from their substance. I imagine she had seven demons in her. That was, that was a sight to behold. I don't think too many people want to mess with her. But what did Jesus do? He healed her. And then what did they do? What did she do? She became, I've written a paper in school on the discipleship. A women's discipleship found in the Bible. And she was a, a couple pages of discipleship, of her example of discipleship for us, of servitude, of serving our Lord and Master, of an example of what we, because He has healed us through His stripes, how we need to serve. She was a great servant, a woman nobody wanted nothing to do with. So, my, my final example on... on on this topic is, look at the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. He counted himself the least of all the apostles, born out of due season. He persecuted the church with everything he had. And he did it with a good conscience. He thought that was the right thing to do. Acts 8, 1 through 3. Now Saul was consenting to his death, 
At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So did Jesus just stop there and say, oh, well... This guy's killing my people. No. He's seen the potential that Saul had to serve the kingdom. He's seen the potential that Saul had. Knowing his, his background and, and that he studied at the feet of G- G- Gamal. I can't. Sorry. It's uh, Gamaliel. I'm not good with the Jewish names. Uh, serving at the feet. He's seen the great potential that this man had as a writer. As a servant for the church and his willingness to serve. He used Saul, called Paul, to start how many countless congregations? To go around writing uh, almost two thirds of the New Testament? Amazing. Jesus didn't discount Saul because of his background. You know, then people, I, I, I feel for the early church when they, Saul comes walking up and they're saying, it's okay, he's with us. And they're like, no. Last I heard, he was killing people and sending them to prison. But you know what? That showed the love of the early church in forgiveness. We need to have that same forgiveness for people that maybe don't have the background we do. Maybe don't have the upbringing that many people grew up that grew up in the church had. We need to make sure that we're not being that stumbling block to people that are coming and looking. Because they're searching. Everybody's searching for one thing or another. Everybody is searching for something. They all want more. We know that only happiness and peace can be found in the gospel of Christ. There's no happiness outside of it. As was said earlier, you can write as many books in philosophy as you want, and you're still going to be just as miserable after reading it than if you would just find your happiness where it only can be found. And that's in the body of Christ. We can't look at people for their outward appearance. We must look at their potential. I'd like to tell you a story about a, a man... And then we'll, we'll transition over this to uh, the home. I'll tell you the story of a man who grew up in a broken home. His uh, parents divorced at three. His dad was a womanizer, drug addict, drug dealer, alcoholic. Uh, that was his example to grow up looking up to. That was, his, uh, that was what he had you know, to base on how to become a man off of. And so, of course, when he came of age to be a man, he thought he could find it in money, drugs, alcohol, sex, womanizing, all the things where no happiness can be found. And that's where he thought it was to be a man. And that went on for a long time, about 27 plus years. It went on like that. And he was broken. He knew there was something else out there. He knew there was something bigger and better. But he just didn't know what it was. 
He didn't know. And that's when the long arm of the uh, federal government comes in and the FBI takes him away out of his situation that he was selling drugs and living a, a sinful lifestyle. And uh, through that experience, a man shared the gospel with him. A man actually opened the Bible with him for the first time. At 40 years old, this man had never opened the Bible in his whole life. And at 40 years old, someone from the Church of Christ, from the Lord's Church, opened a Bible with him and said, Would you like to study? Would you like to know more? And at 40 years old, he said, Yes. I would love to know more. You know? That man was me. That was my life. I tried to fill my life. I had this big hole in my heart that I tried to fill with drugs and alcohol and women and all these other things. And it just became bigger and bigger till it consumed my whole life. And I lived in that for 27 years. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything else existed. I, I thought I was going to live and die that way until I was introduced to the gospel. I obeyed the gospel at the Southwest Church of Christ uh, under the tutelage of uh, uh, Cody Westbrook and came to God. Many people say they found God. I didn't find God. He wasn't lost. I was. He was waiting right there for me the whole time with arms open saying, Come home, my son. Come home. I have what you need. I obeyed the gospel. The blood of Christ filled that hole in my heart. I became whole. I became useful. I became a part of a family that I'd, I'd always dreamed of being a part of, but never had the opportunity because nobody shared the gospel with me. Not that I was going to listen on drugs. Probably wasn't going to listen. But once God sent the FBI into my life to change it, I started listening. I decided I didn't want to live a life that way anymore. And it changed my life. I went and did my prison time. But the whole time, the Southwest Church of Christ were always there. They put money on my books. They wrote me letters of encouragement. Sent me books in. They made sure I was never forgotten. And when I came out, uh, Elder and his wife, Brett and Gretchen Gerhardt, invited me into their home to live. And asked me if I wanted to go to school. And uh, the rest is history. So, don't ever discount because if y'all have seen me in my addiction, you'd have said, that guy's beyond help. You would have walked away from me. I was a mess. But don't ever discount the power of the gospel. Because it has the power to change lives. It changed mine. At 40 years old, it changed my life forever. It changed the path of my life forever. It's amazing what the power of the gospel has. When you just open the book and let the word speak for itself. Guide them through it. So we must look at souls the way Jesus did. We must look at the value of the soul. And we must look at the potential of the soul. And so that leads me in to the home of recovery. So let me give you a little background history on the home of recovery. Uh, Jim Hampton, good brother in Christ, 80-something years old right now, um, 
good brother in Christ. And the guys, they'll, all, I, if they, all I got to do is take them over and leave with Jim for the day, you know. And they'll, Jim, Jim, will talk them, Jim will talk them down, you know. Uh, Jim Hampton, he was a sheriff's department for a long time. He worked as a CPA for a long time. Well, there is a substance abuse prison in Winsboro. And he used to be um, going in, on the, in to, to minister to the guys there. And he would go in and teach. And so he would see these guys. He would teach them. They would obey the gospel. And then he'd, they'd see them get out. And then he'd see them come back. Six months later, they're there again. What happened? Well, the problem is there was nowhere for them to go but back to the same situation that they came out of. And I don't know if y'all understand, but when you're a drug addict and you have these problems, when you go back to the same situation you just came out of and nothing has changed, well, then nothing changes. You go right back to doing the exact same thing you did before. Nothing, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And so he, as a brainchild, he says, I have the money. I can do something to help these guys. Which, who are we helping? Any men who desire to grow their faith, men desire to, to get help with their substance abuse order, we are, we take in, it doesn't matter if you've never opened the Bible before in your life, I'm, I'll accept you in. Because you know what? You're about to open the Bible. <laughs> You're going to open the Bible a whole bunch, huh, Jerry? <laughs> we go, we, that's all we teach. Uh, this is just some numbers. There's just a lot of numbers here, you know. One in seven have a substance abuse problem. Y'all, it doesn't, it's not hard to see that in the world we live. Everybody knows somebody that has a problem with drugs or alcohol. Um, so, let's get to, okay, this is about Brother Jim Hampton. He acted. He bought, here we go, this place. Guess what that was? A honky-tonkin' VFW that the state shut down because they were too rowdy. They were having nefarious activities in there that caused the government to come in and shut them down. So Jim Hampton buys this facility. Oh, oh. And he turns it into this. And these are some of our guys. We're doing the garden. We had a lot of really good stuff come out of the garden this year. But he buys this facility, and he calls in every favor. Everybody in, in Winsboro, everybody owes Jim Hampton a favor. Like, he's, he's a CPA, and so he does taxes for everybody. And he's an honest CPA, a uh, Christian CPA. So everybody's real happy with the work he does. And he knows everybody, and everybody owes him a favor. I just use the example of we had to get the alternator done on that van, and I had the alternator, and I pulled up to the service station. I said, can I get this alternator in today? He goes, man, we can't get to that until next Monday or something. I said, not even for Jim Hampton? He goes, all right. He had it done in an hour, you know. So you throw Jim Hampton's name around in Winsboro, you get stuff done. But that's because he's a good Christian, and he does lots of favors for people. He, he, you see the light of Christ in him. Well, he bought this place, called in all the favors he could. Redid it out. Got it done. We have... The rooms are nice. Uh, this is our little chapel area, which used to... You can see in the background, there's the baptismal chamber. 
uh, right here you can see this used to be a honky-tonk dance floor. Now it's the chapel area. So uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, these are the rooms. Every resident has their own room. We're not trying to stack people in on top of each other. I'm not trying to... This isn't a money-making facility as most rehabs are. We're a non-profit organization. Generally, what is it when you're not making any money? We stay in the red. Most of the time, we're in the red. Um, but we make it work. We, we keep making it work somehow. But, you know, we know how. God's hand's in it. Um, so they have nice rooms. Uh, we have clothes. Most of the guys that we come in, uh, come in, don't have nothing. Show clothes on their back. We provide them with clothes. Uh, I usually go and buy them some socks and some underwear so they have some stuff that's theirs, you, you know. Um, so, uh, this is the, the different rooms. And right across the street there, you can see, or it's right next door is the Lee Cemetery. So it's really kind of a reminder of a lot of these guys come out of Franklin County Jail or different jails or prisons around. And then you can either be in the home or you can walk out that door and go back to jail or you can go over here to the cemetery. Which one? They're dying to get in there. <laughs> Sorry. So, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's the choices. Because in all reality, drug and alcohol addiction, I'm still looking for that happy ending story. There aren't any. There are absolutely no happy ending stories with drug and alcohol addiction. You either die from the drugs and alcohol or you wind up in prison because of drugs and alcohol related circumstances. There is no happy ending story. I'm still looking for one. I mean, I, I, I know this personally. Uh, my younger brother died of a heroin overdose two years ago. And, and it's one of those things where I, I kept saying, Jason... Uh, Man, you want me to get you some help? Well, I can get you some help. I have the resources. Well, maybe sometime, just not today. That not today turns in, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We all know that. So, uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, this is where Jerry was baptized, right there. Uh, we have, and great news, we have a guy today, they called me earlier, Troy is being baptized today, one of our residents. So he's obeying the gospel today. It's, a, it's an occurring thing that happens. Um, I, I'm so blessed to be able to be a part of that. We know it's all God. We know it's all His working. It's just amazing to be a part of, of that life-changing moment in people's lives. Um, so we provide them with the things that they need. Like I say, they come in with nothing. We provide them with soap and razors and, and deodorant and all the stuff. That's the chapel area where we have devotionals and singing. And I think the last baptism we had, we baptized Paul, a 55-year-old gentleman. who He counted the cost. It took him a few months to really realize what he was going to have to give up. He didn't do it lightly. Some people just, oh yeah, I want to baptize. But they don't ever think about what they're going to have to give up in life. He really thought about it and came to me and said, Aaron, I'm ready. And they were singing. Well, y'all sung till like one in the morning. 
They were in there singing after we baptized him. They were singing till one in the morning, you know, gospel hymns. I was like, all right, I, but I can't gripe, gripe at nobody for singing gospel hymns till one in the morning, even though I it was wanting to go to bed, but I can't gripe at nobody. So this is our kitchen where we eat meals together. We have an evening meal together every night. Um, we're trying to break the cycle, and that's, that's what it's all about. I'm thankful somebody shared the gospel with me. We've broken the cycle in my family for me. You know, it, if not, it was just going to be from father to son. And it keeps going. And it keeps going. But we have to break that cycle. And through breaking that cycle, we're going to have generational effects. Generational effects. You know, I see the Mayfields. That's a generational uh, positive effect. You know, I love that. I love seeing that. It brings my heart great warmth. You know, we're trying to start that in these men's lives so that we can have that generational effect. That So their children and children's children won't ever even know that their grandpa used to be a little wild. You know, it's one of those things. We're, we're just, um, it's just a great hope of mine to to let the power of the gospel change those lives like that. We know it can. So, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's what we're doing. These men put their lives, old stuff behind them. And a whole brand new life is ahead of them. I'm so thankful to this congregation because y'all are a part of that. Y'all support this home. You know, you may not be there, you may not be on the scene every day, but you're there. You're there through your support. Y'all are a part of these guys' success. Y'all are a part of their, of their overcoming the battles of addiction. Y'all are a part of it. And it's such an important part and we're so thankful. You know, we're so thankful. Uh... It's just the daily schedules. Right now, it changes is my administrator. Right now, we're getting up every day. We have a 9 o'clock class, and we're studying for the Bible Bowl coming up North Jefferson. Last year, we took sixth place. Six out of six. Okay, okay. That's all right. That's all right. We're coming back this year. They are After this first one, we're lighting a fire under everybody because we're coming back to take first this year just to get everybody fired up. Because last year we came in and took second, the first one. And, and they came back with a vengeance on us. You know, them drug addicts are taking second place. We better turn it up. And so that's what we're doing. We're coming. We've been studying every morning for an hour, all of us together. Uh, Ezra 1, 2, and 3. And so between us all, we have Ezra 1, 2, and 3 memorized. I mean, we're ready. We're coming strong. We still got another week to go to. And we're coming in strong. We're, we're coming in for first place, not as a competition, but to create the, the fire in the multiple churches that make them want to come out and, and study harder too. So, but we like winning too. Who doesn't like winning? I ain't going to lie. Uh, we try. We're, we're, we start our day like that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of different things. Guys studying together. Right now, I have a really good group of guys. Like, I can always tell the spiritual um, temperature 
by who's not at class on time. These guys, they're 15 minutes early. <laughs> when it's time to go to church, we're leaving, we're getting to church 30 minutes early because everybody's ready to go. And I can't just, you know, well, if y'all ready to go, let's go. And so it's amazing. The group of guys I have right now are, there are dynamite. I have nine of them right now. Two more on the way. And they are on fire for the Lord. They are excited. Um, they are asking questions. They're always uh, thoughtful questions, deep questions. Some of those questions where I have to say, well, that's a great question. Let me get back to you on that because I might have to go study on that some. Or, or that would be a great question for the elders at Mount Vernon. Yeah, it's just um, So uh, our goal is to make sure that these men learn the worth of their soul to our Savior. That should be our goal with every person. In the whole wide world. Our goal as Christians is to make sure that everyone in the world knows the value. That they are to God. I mean, that's, that's so important. Uh, I do a lot of the jail ministry. That's where I've been meeting most of these men. And so I've gotten in good with the Tyler Pro Parole Office. I've gotten in good with the uh, Franklin County Probation office and the judge and the prosecuting attorney and the judge's office there. And so they are now probating guys out to me. And so we're we're full at the moment, but we always we can always excuse me, work in more trying to work in where we can work in more people. Um, they've been probated out to me as a condition of their probation. They have to complete the program. Which is amazing because most of these guys have spent some time in jail and they are so happy to be spending time in church and spending time in study and just being a part of the home. And they show it to me in ways of, I mean, we got a stack of firewood this big out there for the pit now and the yard is immaculate at all times and just, they, they are really, they're really been a good group of guys we have right now. Um... So, we do all, all this stuff, and there's me and Jesse. That's my assistant director. He, is, uh, he graduated with me. So that's me with my uh, bad Western B-movie goatee thing, uh, bad guy thing I got going on there. Uh, Jerry it cuts hair, so that's why I'm looking good now. This, I think this picture was before Jerry was cutting my hair. So uh, that's me and Jesse. We went to uh, school together. He's a 2021 graduate of Southwest School of Bible Studies. And I'm fortunate to have him, his wife Alex, um, and their baby girl. They have a boy on the way. I'm fortunate to have them working with me because before he came to work with me, I was doing it by myself. And well, that was a mess. But Jesse's there. Uh, he's never had drug problems, but it's one of the requirements that I, I, I don't want anyone working as full-time staff there that hadn't been through school. It's just one of those um, things. I want them to be all around well-versed in the Bible because that's the most important thing is that what we're teaching these guys. We teach the truth. We don't take any... Okay, so this is uh, Mike Rose up in the far corner. That's our grocery getter guy. He saves us so much money because he coordinates with all the churches to bring groceries to us. Um, great, great group of guys. Um, all these guys were great guys. 
most of that back rows moved on. Uh, Andrew Schiebert there, he got his master plumber's license while at the home and is now running uh, two, he has two trucks running a, a, kill, a great plumbing business. David Hargis there in the middle is uh, just got custody of his son back. Um, so praise the Lord. And he is the, just been a faithful Christian, just amazing. Uh, Jaime Weislogo got his, his uh, CDL license back. While at the home and just just running, Jesse here at the corner, he is still at the home. He's working at Tractor Supply Company where they, they feel that he has a, a career job there moving up in management. So um, just it's just amazing. Well, I don't know where Weston was for this photo because Weston, I think, was home that weekend. He should have been in this photo. Um, these are graduates. I, I look out... Uh, these are different baptisms. Oh, there's Jerry. There's me and Jerry. Uh, we, uh, you know, leading in worship. There's Weston. These guys do a lot of leading in worship. Like I have to uh, brag on Jerry. Jerry's a great song leader and has led songs at multiple churches that we've gone to because I go around preaching and doing presentations. And uh, he's led devotionals at the Honey Grove Church of Christ and devotionals at Mount Vernon Church of Christ. Just amazing, and to watch Jerry sit down when he when he finds out he's got this because he looks at me like, oh, "Are you serious? Yeah, you what? I don't want to do that." But then he never says no, and then he sits down for weeks on end, and puts in the time, and puts in the study, and I'm so proud of him for that because some people just take that as a, "Oh, no big deal. I'll just read from the Bible," and they don't put the time in. And, and you know, God's word is worth the time spent. In study, especially if you're going to proclaim it to other people. Um, so, you know, a lot of people ask what they can do to help. Number one thing I can ask for you to do to help us is pray for us. Number one thing above anything, anything is keep us in your prayers and keep these guys in your prayers. Keep their continued success in your prayers. We know the power of prayer. And that is the most important thing that, that y'all can do for us. Um, you know, monetary help, that's great. But prayer is so important and we need it. These guys need it. They're struggling with a lot of different things. A lot of guys are struggling with marriage and divorce and different things that, you know, that's when they said in school that that was probably going to be one of the hardest topics you deal with, they were not lying. <laughs> we, we deal with that a lot because a lot of these guys are on their second or third marriage coming into this. It, and it, it's, a, it's a tough topic, but we work through it. And we work through the scripture. and We're not going to apologize for what the scripture says. It says what it says, and we work through it. Um, so... I'm so thankful to be a part of this work, and I'm thankful for y'all's support of this work. It's an important work. It's an amazing work. Um, I see guys like Weston, where he comes to me, and I guess it was his, his second week there. You know, he's in there with a bunch of rough and tumble guys all out of prison, and, you know, but, you know, everybody's real nice, but he's in there with a pretty rowdy group, and he comes in and knocks on my door at night, and he says, Aaron. I think my parents overreacted. <laughs> I was like, no, sir. No, sir. You ain't getting out of here like that, brother. And then he settled in and he did the program. And then here he, now I'm sure y'all are supporters. I'm a supporter. We're a supporter of West and Southwest School of Bible Study. 
I always said coming to this work from school, if I could just get one faithful Christian out of this whole work or whatever time I spent there, it would be well worth it. Not only have I seen one faithful Christian, I've seen a young man go off to his future in serving the Lord at Bible school. I see I have another young man over here in the audience with us tonight who's put in his application to Southwest School of Bible Study. And so we'll be raising funds upcoming for him to go to. And I have another one who's, who's given it some serious thought of going to school. So, uh, you know, it's just affirmation for me of the fruit that this work is producing. And I understand if a work isn't producing fruit, then why support it? Why would you keep putting money into something that isn't producing fruit? You wouldn't. It's not good use of the Lord's money. This work is producing fruit. We've had many baptisms. We've had faithful Christians. Uh, I'm so excited when I come into church there at Mount Vernon. And there's a Christian that I helped walk through that's there. Not because I dragged him there in the bus. But because he brought himself there every single service faithfully. That's what it's about. And, and if we can... Now he's going to raise his son up in the church. That's what it's about. And that's what y'all are supporting. That's the work y'all's money is coming to the home to support. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it. And I promise you I'll be the best steward of that money I can be. Because I know who I have to answer to. In, in, in all reality, it's God's money. And, and I have to answer to him for how it's spent. But I'm trying to help as many men as we possibly can through your money, through your support, and through this home. So, is there any thoughts or questions? Okay. Well, then this is where I'm going to give the invitation. So, this was kind of a, uh, a different type of thing. But if tonight, if something in this lesson, if you hadn't, you hadn't been valuing the souls correctly, if you hadn't been thinking of the potential of a soul, if maybe... You're not a Christian and you're in the audience and you want help. You want to study. You want to become a Christian, become a part of the family of God. I know the brethren here would love to help you with that. It's the most wonderful thing that can ever be. The greatest thing that's ever happened in my life was when I became a part of the family of God. It's indescribable. There's nothing like it. There's no family better. There's no love outside of the family of God that is like what's found in the family of God. So if you're not a Christian tonight, please do not wait too late. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But if you are a Christian tonight,